This is the Rich Eisen Show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Hey, let's crank it up. Great tempo now. One play at a time. They could do a hard knocks about us. You know what? A hard knocks out of us would be... It's not going to be easy. What is that? The Rich Eisen Show. Right now. That's it. That's it. Today's guests. Baseball Hall of Famer, Jim Palmer. ESPN NBA analyst, Jeff Van Gundy. Plus, from AMC's The Beast Must Die, actor Jared Harris. And now, it's Rich Eisen. All right, everybody. Hour number two of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. Jeff Van Gundy, who called the Suns Game 1 victory in the NBA Finals last night, is going to be calling in from Phoenix in about 20 minutes' time to discuss what he saw and what we can expect to see. The actor Jared Harris will be joining us in hour number three. He'll join us 40 minutes before... Uh, England kicks uh, matters off in Wembley in London against Denmark for the right to play Italy for the Euro Cup final championship in Wembley in London. So he'll be uh, the proverbial nervous as a cat individual. Uh, we were talking about the, the match that we enjoyed with uh, Phil and Tom Brady and Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers yesterday. We talked about that in hour number one. If you missed that, go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show for all of that. Also talked about Otani and how terrific he's looked. And um, I enjoy my chats with this man quite a bit uh, whenever he's appeared on this show. And before all of that, he is a baseball Hall of Famer who calls games for the... Oh, he's, he, he, just, uh, he just dropped off, huh, Mike? He just dropped yeah, off. Oh, here off. I went in the hole. Sorry, Rich. I know, you were in the zone. Wait, I was in the zone. Yep. I was yeah. moving. I was yeah, shaking. All right, he's calling back. He's calling back. He's calling here's back. a perfect uh, story as well. Here's my, you know, here's my tap dance. My favorite Brooks Robinson story. Okay. Did I ever, ever told you this? Uh, is this about golfing? Yes. Yes. I'll tell you. Have I told TJ this no, might I be new? Heard. I mean, okay. I've heard. I've heard all the all right, stories. So <laughs> I was uh, I was at a charity golf tournament in Orlando, actually, where I got the, um, I believe, where I got the the Goodfellas. Goodfellas poster. The Gazy poster. But anyway, I'm not a fan of uh, resorts. Uh, where you're spread out. I, I like to go to a hotel where I go straight up in an elevator, you know? Okay. So here I am staying in this spot uh, that they put us up uh, at a resort. It was like half a mile from the main desk. And, you know, <laughs> they, they wanted us, even though the shotgun start was like 11 in the morning, they wanted us to um, be picked up at like 7, go there and have breakfast and whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's early. This is when I was in ESPN. I was a single man. I was out late and whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I don't want to wake up that early. Fine. I wake up that early. Woke up that early and um, standing in front of my uh, spot, getting ready to be picked up to be brought to the main desk to go all the way out there. No, nobody's coming. They told me to be out there at a certain time and someone's going to come get. Still nothing. So I call the main desk. <laughs> now, I'm just taking a little breath here, you know, but I'm, I'm a little heated. You know how I can get. You, you already didn't want to be up that early. So I hopped, I, I, I busted out my flip phone <laughs> and I'm waiting for, you know, uh, I call the front desk and I'm like, is there anybody there who can tell me when this lift is coming to take me to you so I can get to this golf course on time? And the guy, the person who answered the phone, he says, there's a bunch of people here from the tournament waiting, ready to go. And I'm like, exactly. I need to be with them. Can you put somebody from the tournament on the phone? And the member of the hotel's like, is there someone here from such and such tournament? And you heard one person go, yeah, I'm, I'm with that tournament. Well, you know, Rich Eisen wants to speak to you. And get on the phone. And they're like, yeah, hello. And I'm like, are you with this tournament? Yeah, I'm with this tournament. <laughs> I'm like, well, where, where is the, you know, I'm trying to be calm because, you know, you never know. 
I'm trying to be, you know, polite because that's my default. And I'm like, but where is the ride? Mm-hmm. I, I think it should be there any minute, Rich. And I'm like, well, who is this? So I know. And he goes, this is Brooks Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Mr. Robinson, I wanted somebody who's managing the tournament, not like playing in it. <laughs> One of the nicest guys ever. This is Brooks Robinson. <laughs> Great story. And that's how I welcome Jim Palmer to the program. How are you, Jim? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I like. I, I, he was a nice guy when he was playing third, and I threw those rockets down. <laughs> you know, he was the MVP in uh, the '70 World Series, right? So, uh, you know, the, the one of the great All Star games was the '71 All Star mm-hmm. game, where he was played in two hours and eight minutes, and there were like eight home runs, all by Hall of Famers. Reggie hit the. I was actually warming up by the blue start of the uh, game for the American League, who would go on to win the uh, Cy Young and the MVP in his rookie year. But it, it, Reggie hit one so far, there was complete silence. I mean, because everybody was watching to see how far the ball went. And it went way up on the roof and, you know, hit the light tower. And I mean, a little bit like the natural, except, you know, Barry Levinson wasn't producing. <laughs> we had all that kind of stuff. Jim, we had Reggie on the show uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And um, he, I asked him about that home run. He said it was born out of Sal Bando telling him before he went to that All-Star game, don't embarrass us. And he, well, he thought, didn't. Yeah, no, <laughs> as a matter of fact, he didn't. <laughs> he most certainly did not. But I was going to ask. You know what, what's funny is that you know we had played the uh, the Reds in the World Series here before, and you know we ended up winning uh, what game four to four games to one, and you know and you know, Brooks Brooks made all. I mean, you, you just don't. I mean, he was as good as he was with sixteen straight Gold Gloves. You don't get the opportunities in one World Series to make all the plays that he made. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it kind of started in Game One when. Lee May had uh, singled in a run. I threw him a hanging curveball. He had a two-run home run, and then I threw him a changeup. So I'd gone through my pretty much my whole repertoire, and then that's the ball that Brooks catches going over the bag and from the coaching box throws a one-hopper to Boog Powell to throw out Lee May. So now I figure, okay, Johnny Bench comes up. I pitched, what, innings four and five. And I figure, you know what? I pitched him away in the World Series. I'll try to go up and in, and he hits this rocket in the hole. And Brooks, of course, dies to his left. Bench just goes. It's just not. This is not fair. <laughs> I mean, this is, and I just figured, you know, I'll see what Johnny can Bench can do on the on the fastball, you know, up and in. Well, I found out, but Brooks was there to save me. Yeah, you, you know, when you talk about, you know, he was a fabulous player. But what a, I mean, person. I, everywhere I've ever gone over the years, nobody that I've ever met said anything bad about Brooks mm. Robinson. So you know, one of those perfect guys to have as a teammate. And you know, I mean, I let's see, I'm 75. Brooks, he's probably 84, I think, somewhere there in that range. He's a great role model. I mean, if you wanted to kind of mirror who you're going to try to be like when, you know, you get to the big leagues at 19 when I did, and Brooks, he's 27. He was like a mm. year removed from being the most valuable player in, in the American League. It's somebody like Brooks. Jim Palmer here uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, Jim, how would it have gone if there was a front office executive with the Baltimore Orioles who, uh, armed with uh, numbers like spin rate and exit velocity, <laughs> would have walked into Earl Weaver's office and told him, this is who's starting today, and this is how long your pitcher is going to go against that other team because these are the numbers third time through the order. How would Earl Weaver have handled something like that? Well, Jim? you know, it's funny. I mean, Earl, you know, Earl was the kind of head of the curve with the Weaver cards. You know, he had the stats. Yes. You know, he didn't know exactly when or, you know, how current they were. 
you know, he relieved me once with Tippy Martinez, uh, you know, up in New York, and I had a four to one lead. It was late in my career. Uh, you know, Dave Winfield had uh, hit a, um, uh, you know, an infield hit, and then you know, was, I think the score was four to one or something like that. So Tippy comes out, he's well rested. You know, I'm happy about that. You know, they there's two outs in the ninth inning, and. You know, it'd been nice to have a complete game, but you know, it's kind of. I just was looking for wins. I'd already had enough complete games, and Earl comes out and he goes, "You know, he's two for twenty. You know, he said it was that was only two for twenty-three. And I said, "Well, actually, you know, he was zero for twenty-one, and his last two hits, uh, one was a arrested <laughs> Tippy Martinez on a curveball down the way over the shortstop's head to to beat us, and then the other one was an upper deck home run in the twelfth inning." Uh, when he had pitched five straight days and his curveball was meandering up the home plate. And we were going, what do you mean? I said, well, see, numbers don't tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. And even today, we all know that's not the case. You know, we have a, you know, Sig Meidel does our, you know, he's a NASA guy that worked with Mike Elias, who's now the, base, you know, the president of baseball operations in mm-hmm. Baltimore. And, you know, he was kind of telling us how important runs are. And, you know, I mean, you know, if you do enough analytical things well, you can save, you know, 35, 37 runs a game, whatever, or a year, and whatever. So we were walking out of the stadium about two and a half weeks ago, and I said, Sick, you know, I, I kind of I went back to 2007, and I looked at runs scored per game in the major leagues, and I said they're down. So if, you know, we're now at the three outcomes, which is strikeouts, you know, uh, walks and home runs. If home runs are that important, well, how come we're hitting more home runs, but we're scoring more, more, run, more, less runs are scored in, in a ball game? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he smiled. He said, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Right. <laughs> and he's really a nice man, you right. know. But the point is, I don't know. You know, analytics are what they are. You know, they, you, you know, you give a, a young pitcher who has a bad windup that can't repeat it, you know, we want you to pitch in this quadrant, you know. You know, if you you know if you do this, if you do that, if the Edgertronic, the Rapsodo camera tells you you stay behind your slider, and you know you do this and whatever, but if you can't repeat your windup, what what good is the information? You know, I mean, if uh, you know spin rate, we knew about spin rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I used to always ask Elrod Henricks, who caught my no hitter, I said, Elrod, how am I getting these guys out? He goes, they don't see the ball. They think they can hit that high fastball. And I'd have guys like Jim Spencer, the late Jim Spencer, who he was old for 32. I kept him from hitting 302 straight years. And I'd see him, I was pitching on Wednesday in Texas. I'd see him on Monday when we were shagging, and then we had infield back in those days, infield and outfield for the game. He goes, you know, I'm not going to swing at that high fastball on Monday. Tuesday, he says, you know, I'm laying off that high. Either. Of course, on Wednesday, first high fastball, he'd pop it up or fly out or whatever. <laughs> so in the 12th inning, I was going for my 20th win, and Jim McKeon blows a play. Mike Hargrove was out by about a half a step and calls him safe. And instead of being winning two to one, it's two to two. And I'm trying to, you know, win my 20th. It's late August. And Jim Spencer comes up and, you know, he was a low fastball hitter. I'm, you know, you're in a tie ball game, two, two in the 12th inning. And I throw him a fastball away and he gets a little soft line drive. The left and I looked over. I said, do you want the ball? I said, you know, he was from Baltimore. He used to play in our basketball team. I said, you could have been doing that for the last two years. So we knew about where to pitch guys. We knew that, you know, as Elrod Henry said, they don't see the ball. You have, you know, you have a high fastball that has currently great spin rate. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first, when my first World Series game was Sandy Koufax's last game. And Andy, I'm on deck in Dodger Stadium, and Sandy throws Andy Etcher three fastballs, and he thought about swinging at all three of them. 
and he never could get the bat going. So as I'm walking up to home plate, I, I said, uh, Etch, I said, the radio balls. He said, what? I said, you know, you could hear him, but you couldn't see him. So I walk up to home plate, and he throws, and I was a pretty good hitter, and he throws this fastball, and I, it starts in the lobby, and it ends up on the second floor. I said, you know, I'm going to, um, I'm going to really have to get going. Well, he throws me the same pitch, except it's not his fastball. But, you know, now there's a term tunneling, mm-hmm. where if you throw the pitch out of the same, you know, release point, they don't know the difference. Well, Roseboro catches it on the ground. And that's how I learned how to, why Sandy Koufax was Sandy Koufax. Because he had a fastball and a curveball, pretty much the two pitches he had. You could never tell the difference. One started in the lobby, ended up on the second or third floor. One started in the lobby, ended up in the lower basement. So, you know, baseball hasn't really changed. It's just, you know, I think they, they, they want to, you know, quantify it and all that. But, I mean, you know, I know pitchers are good and they're throwing with more velocity and you can talk all day long about whether they're using substances or not. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, Ted Williams tapped his bat on the plate in 1969 said, you know, boys, uh, get a good pitch to hit, preferably a fastball, and you need to have a six-degree upswing. So he talked about a launch angle back in 1969, and of course he was Ted Williams. Yes, Jim Palmer here on the Rich Eisen Show. Um, I could talk to you all day, but uh, before I, I let you go, Jim, I, I do want to give you the floor on Shohei Otani and what we're seeing, uh, a unicorn uh, every fifth day and certainly every other day. Um, what, I'll give you the floor and what we're seeing from him right now. Jim. Well, it's just amazing. You know, I mean, I was reading an article this morning about, you know, Babe Ruth only, what, pitched and played the outfield in, what, 218 games? And he said, you know, you can't do both. Well, Otani can't. But how big has he got? I mean, he's, it's like he's, you know, we know, you know, I mean, if you broadcast for the Orioles in the American League East, you know, you're used to seeing Stan and, and you know, and, and, and Judge and all that. I mean, guys that are superhuman, they look like they should, you know, be on the, uh, you know, in the, in the movies and, you know, in the, you know, in the, some of the, you know, the superhero movies and all that. So, um, but Otani just, I, you know, I saw him about a couple of years ago when we could actually go on the field and talk to players and all that. And yeah, you know, I mean, he, and then you saw him run and you said, gee, it's ball a long way. Now he hits the ball real long way to all fields, you know, pitching wise, my social was the manager. I said, you got to get him in the middle of pitching rubber. He's going to hurt his arm, which he did. So he did the Tommy John. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of what Al Michaels used to always talk about. He said, you know, when you could be reading a book and when, when, uh, now hitting for the Oakland A's, Reggie Jackson, you, you stop reading. Hmm. When Otani pitches or comes to the plate, you pay attention. Yep. So I don't know if you can say it any better than that. I mean, I'm sure people could say it much more eloquently. Bob Costas comes to mind when we talk about that, but yeah, he's a special player. And, uh, you know, if you're, you're an angel fan, you know, or you, you got to see Tom Seaver strike out the last 10 batters, you know, on April, what, uh, April 22nd in 1970. Right. You know, just to think that you were there or you get to see Otani do some of the things he does. That's what makes baseball the game, the game it is. Jim, I appreciate your time. I think, uh, I think, uh, who, who's that? What's in, what's the name of your dog? That's letting you know. Uh, I named it Teddy Grossman's a world famous stuntman. He's 90 years old. And mm-hmm. My, I have a stepson with autism and Spencer says, uh, Let's name him Teddy Grossman. So okay. we have a human Teddy Grossman who lives in Santa Monica. <laughs> and then we have Teddy Grossman who's barking in the background of a wired hair dachshund <laughs> from about an hour south of, uh, from, uh, from Atlanta. Got him five years ago, the day that Jordan Spieth hit the two balls in the water. We were an hour away from 
Bill Spring Dachshund Farm, where we got the, the animal. We drove 1,200 miles from Palm Beach to get him. Uh, when the, the speed dumped a couple of uh, balls in the water on 12, which I had done too, so I know it's, you know, he, of course he's not supposed to be a Jim Palmer. <laughs> well, so, let, let's see him uh, th- throw one up and into Johnny Bench one day, Jim, and see how it well, works. That's you know uh, so, hey, Rich, take care. Thanks for the call, hey, Jim. I, look for my okay. call again. I'd love to l- love to keep this conversation going. Thank okay. you. Appreciate You're it. Welcome. That's take Jim care. Palmer. Check him out, Colin Orioles games, and also on Twitter. Fun stuff from Jim Palmer right there here on the Rich Eisen Show. Um, how many people can start a sentence? My first World Series game was Sandy Koufax last game. Oh, yeah, I was warming up in the bullpen when Reggie hit the light tower. Come on. Wow. Come on. Earl Weaver comes out to me. Seen it all, man. Come on now, man. I was 19. Brooks Robinson was 27. I honestly could talk to that guy all day. We didn't even get to spider tack, gorilla glue, whatever the hell's going on. <laughs> but hey, look, um, you know, I did I did ask that knowing Earl Weaver was the king of the three run home run. Get, you know, yep. get two on, and now let's hit it out of the park. Let's go. Which is, you know, t- today's game is not getting anybody on. Just keep hitting solo home runs. Doesn't matter. So many solo. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, but he says game's not much different. I like what I liked about that interview was Which sometimes you got to like poke and pride. The second he came on, Jim was in storytelling. Well, I mean, you could say and he just, just started it and he ran with it. Guy's got tons of stories to tell. <laughs> yep. So that was really cool. You know? Yeah, my last game, my first World Series was Sandy Koufax's last game and. He threw three balls to Angie Etcheverin, and we called him radio. I called him radio balls because you, you could you 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 can hear him, but you can't see him. So he threw one that started on the ground floor and wound up on the second. I mean, come on, I love <laughs> yeah. it. the lobby and wound up on the second floor. Yeah, I love it. Well, that's a rising fastball. And the one that started in the lobby wound up in the basement. Mm. <laughs> love that. Jeff Van Gundy coming up next. What happened in Game One last night that could be repeatable for the Phoenix Suns? What do the Bucks need to do to avoid going down in the dreaded 0-2 NBA Finals hole? That's coming up next with Jeff Van Gundy. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets. 
at the Rich Eisen Show, and every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it, and then the all-in prices. That's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all-in before you purchase. So all the guests were is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed My worst day as a as a sports fan. Yes, I please. still remember it. My birthday in 1973. UCLA's 88-game winning streak came to a halt at Notre Dame. They went on an 11-0 run, I think, at the end to beat Bill Walton. That was like the worst. Why was that so bad for you? We, I guess you were just because I was bit- such a UCLA fan, and it was on tape delay. So they were up like eight or nine, ten with like three to go without a shot clock, UCLA's never losing this game. And I knew they lost before, but I didn't believe it when I, when I was watching it on replay. I thought I had misheard it, and then it ruined my birthday. So it was like my 12th birthday. You know, it was a bad day. Well, what did you love about UCLA so much, Jeff? Like what, what spoke to you about that? We won every game. That's what. Like, I jumped on the bandwagon in California. I was in Northern California at the time growing up. Uh-huh. I jumped on the bandwagon uh, with UCLA. So that's, it was very simple. And you only, remember back then, there was no TV except on like local teams. So that's right. the only games we got was UCLA. It was Dick Emberg calling the game. Of course it was. I mean, it was amazing here in Southern California with Dick Emberg and, and, uh, and obviously Vince Scully and, you know, uh, just some of the legendary voices, um, you know, calling games uh, here uh, in Southern California. Uh, did you ever come across with John, uh, paths with John Wooden, Jeff? Did you ever meet him? You know, I was coaching. I never met him, but I was coaching the Knicks in the playoffs, and Walton was doing one of our games. And somehow it came up I was a UCLA fan. And so he called, uh, and this was pa- uh, post-Ewing, so we were playing, uh, Spreewell and Houston were our best players. Right. And so we were posting them up a lot. So anyway, uh, Bill Walton, this was right before the game, like an hour and a half before the game, calls Coach Wooden up. I get on the phone with him. I'm like fawning about like, you know, him and he goes, you know what? I'd I'd rather see though. I'd rather see Houston and Sprewell face the basket more instead of uh, play with their back to the basket. So I went in and I said, "Hey guys, you know, like uh, Coach Wooden said, he'd like you guys to play with your so face up a little bit more tonight, so we can win this game." Yeah. So that was my only time I ever got a chance to talk to him. Wow. Geez. So did you win that game that night? Did they face up more based on your? I have record? no idea, but I was like in awe. <laughs> That's amazing. That, uh, First of all, the, the audacity of Walton to call up uh, John Wooden and to think that John Wooden was actually watching our games. That's, That's amazing. Uh, that is amazing. Yeah, that was uh, humbling. 
Love stories like that. Jeff Van Gundy, a frequent um, caller into the show as a guest, always a cherish our conversation, certainly when it's in the middle of the NBA Finals, as we currently are. We're back here on NBC Sports on Peacock, and we're back here on the Rich Eisen Show Radio Network, joining our simulcast on uh, this stream right here on NBC Sports on Peacock, and joining us from Phoenix after calling Game 1 of the NBA Finals last night with Mark Jackson and uh, Mike Breen as well. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy back here on the Rich Eisen Show. How are you, Jeff? Man, that brought back great memories, Rich. Thanks for playing that. It really did. Um, it was a, such a, a cherished moment for me to be able to speak to greatness like Coach Wooden. And uh, sometimes you forget all the blessings you've had mm. and – so that was that was wow that was great. Thank yeah, you. you know I love that story that you told. Uh, you know when I guess it was in October 2019 when you were on here that uh, you were a big Wooden fan and Walton's like oh let me get him on the phone which is a nice flex for Walton to just be able to do and that in and it just that had to be really cool for you to know that he was giving you like I'm seeing your games and I see you're posting up Spreewell and Allen Houston a lot I like to see him uh, playing facing the basket that that he's yeah. watching your stuff I mean, it's amazing and he said it in such a like uh, remarkably. Uh, with with remarkable both humility and conviction. Like, you're not really that smart if you don't do what I say, but I'm not going to make you feel bad for being a dummy, you know? <laughs> so it's good. And now uh, let's talk about the here and now with Monty Williams. I, I, it's just amazing, and it's fun to watch uh, a team uh, buy completely 100% what a coach is selling. What, what What is Monty Williams selling that works so well with this team in, in Phoenix, Jeff Van Gundy? Well, I've had, uh, I had the great pleasure of being able to coach Monty uh, as an assistant coach uh, for a year and a half, his rookie year, and then halfway into his second year. And the thing that I think separate or not separates him, but makes him such a great head coach, besides the, the normal basketball knowledge, is – he is a phenomenal leader, and I can't emphasize that enough. He is honest. He is direct. He is humble. He has great empathy, and um, he's got as much as uh, as much integrity as anyone uh, in the NBA at any position in the NBA. So those characteristics and those qualities – make him a phenomenal leader. And so if you're a phenomenal leader and you have great basketball knowledge, you position yourself to get the most out of your team. And they have a terrific team. James Jones has put together a terrific roster. And Monty Williams has driven home exactly what wins and loses in this league. And um, it's just so – I am so happy for him. It's, uh, he should be very proud of himself. And, and the one thing that just strikes me, Jeff, because again, I, I'm 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 watching at home, and then I, I'm seeing and I'm hearing what goes on in a huddle, and how he also um, speaks uh, during you know quarter breaks, and th- he he always seems very calm, and, and it seems like he doesn't raise his voice, and even when the crowd's going crazy, thank goodness we have full arenas again. It, it, that's got to be something that's contagious as well for a team. I would imagine, Jeff. Well, he he preaches poise uh, constantly, and he is the he emanates that message by how he conducts himself. So right. he conducts himself with great poise. Thus, his team 
has uh, an everyday reminder of what poise under pressure looks like. And because of all of his life experiences, I think he know he knows exactly how much basketball matters or should matter in someone's life. And I think that also gives him uh, grace and poise uh, in these stressful moments. But because he's faced so many more stressful moments in his life, he's able to uh, conduct himself um, with the appropriate level of poise. But also don't mistake that for not being uh, an intense, fiery competitor because he is. He had great edge as a player, and he continues to have this great edge uh, as a coach. You know, and me coming from the NFL world, Jeff Jeff Van Gundy here, it, it, he, it's the same thing that I heard was always said about Tony Dungy. That this you're you know the word grace poise uh, you know fiery competitor as a player bringing that to uh, a, a head coach and demanding accountability without being the loudest person in the room honestly like that that sounds the same thing to me to be honest with you yeah and I think the the common denominator there is they they're man men of great faith uh, and who also again both have experienced. Um, gut-wrenching tragedies in their life. And so their faith plus the tragedy, I think, you know, tragedies give them this uh, perspective of what their bigger purpose in life is, is which is to impact uh, the people around them. And they both, to me, when I think of servant leadership, the two, two names that pop to my mind are Tony Dungy and Monty Williams. And, um, uh, I, listen, I, I have as much respect for Monty Williams, the person as you can have for another person. And, um, he is truly, when we're looking, uh, for American heroes, mm. he's an, the, the way he conducts himself on an everyday basis, uh, it gives me great pride that I know him. And I, I and and Rich, I'm a lot older than him, mm. but I learn from him. I watch him, and this isn't this year. He, he's been a terrific assistant coach. I thought he did a great job in New Orleans, and and now he's doing obviously a great job here, where people are recognizing what he's doing. But I learned from him way back when he was a player, all the way through now, because just because of how he conducts himself. Jeff Van Gundy here on the Rich Eisen Show phoning in from uh, Phoenix where the Suns took game one. And a lot of people might be hearing our conversation right now, Jeff, and think that we're, at least I'm coming across as sounding, you know, a little bit uh, a sense of inevitability about the outcome of this series. It is just one game, but I'm wondering if it just, maybe because it's Chris Paul and it just feels like it's his time. It just feels like he's he's not being stopped by the usual things that that cut him short with injury or in the case of COVID, that, that he just, you know, finished it. The, the Clippers with a 41 uh, piece and dropped a 32 piece in game one. It just seems like he's on fire right now um, and not to be stopped, Jeff. Well, these second halves have been phenomenal these last two games. I mean, you know, the shooting numbers. Uh, and what Chris Paul combines is uh, when he's right is remarkable offensive efficiency, and a ruthless competitor. Uh, those two things are hard to find in combination. But we'd all be making a mistake if we overreact to one game. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
the Bucks have to get better play from Holiday in particular. Uh, Milton's got to get started sooner. You know, the last the closeout game against Atlanta and last night, uh, very very below average first halves and then great second halves. He's got to get started quicker. And then you know, how does and Denacumpo, how does he react to game one? Is he okay still? Um, you know, is he able to play at a high level? I thought he looked great, and I also thought Phoenix did a great job on him. So, I mean, I thought, you know, both things, you know, he had a very good game considering all the circumstance, but he did not overwhelm um, Phoenix at all. I thought their defense was rock solid when it came to, to Giannis. What do you make of the sense uh, of the conversation surrounding the Bucks, despite their making the NBA Finals, that Middleton does need to, as you mentioned, get started sooner, and he has to be the guy to finish up late because Giannis is that MVP who is such a liability from the line that that he can't be the guy who has the ball in his hands in crunch time, and that's the ultimate problem with the Bucks. What do you make of that sense, Jeff Van Gundy? Well, I think in, you know, one possession games, which, you know, a lot of times in the regular season, you're, when you're as good as the Bucks are, you're playing from ahead, right? So uh, a shot here, a missed free throw there, you know, you can overcome that. But if you're in hard-fought one-possession playoff games, uh, what you try to do with your roster is play to your players' greatest strengths and hide their non-strengths. And I think, obviously, one of Giannis's non-strengths is his free-throw shooting. And Middleton has a, a, a offensive game where he's got the ability to shoot it deep, which we've seen. He's got the mid-range pull-up game. Uh, he can get all the way to the basket with his size and finish. And he's a, an improving passer, right? So he has the whole package. So it's not really a knock-on Giannis that we're not going to go to oftentimes late in one possession games, but we we're going to play to Middleton's greatest strength. That doesn't mean Giannis won't take the shot or get an offensive rebound or run a pick and roll and create a play, but the free throw shooting uh, issues are real. And, you know, you, you can't throw away, like if you're up one down one, you know, most likely you can't take the chance of him getting fouled and having to knock in two. It's just, it's smart coaching. It's smart basketball to use your roster. Uh, and that doesn't detract from Giannis being a great, great player, but it's using uh, a special offensive player in Middleton appropriately. Jeff Van Gundy here on the Rich Eisen Show. Last one for you, Jeff. Um, and uh, uh, this is a, a subject that I know is near and dear to you. Because uh, I, I pick up what you put down during your broadcast. I have a four-point plan to improve NBA replay, Jeff Van Gundy. And I want to... Oh, I can't. I, I, I'm for it. I already know I'm okay. for it. Go ahead. Okay, here's... I got a one-point plan, Red. Let me go Don't first. say get rid of it. Don't say get rid of it. You <laughs> can't get rid of it. Unless it's the last shot of the game and, or, and, and the three-point line or two-point shot that we can do on the fly. Okay. Okay. That's my one-point plan. Go with your four-point Okay, plan. here's my four-point plan because, you know, I'm an NFL replay expert. I really feel I should be on the competition committee, and I I will use whatever uh, juice I may have in any way, shape, or form or pulp with Roger Goodell to one day be uh, enshrined, if you will, on that competition committee. But I, I've got four points here 
Okay, Jeff? My first yeah. one, first one, there's a rule change. If you can be awarded the ball in replay, you can refuse the replay. In other words, what happened with the Clippers in the Valley Oop, where the ball was off of Los Angeles, and they stopped the game to see if Los Angeles could get the ball, in the interim, Monty Williams was able to huddle up and walk everyone through the Valley Oop paces. The Clippers could have said, screw that. We don't want the replay. Get the Phoenix Suns on the floor right now. They can't huddle up. What do you think of that? Well, you can decline it's the not, replay. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thought. My plan supersedes your plan, though. <laughs> well, right? look, because your plan would supersede all. That anyway. all right. but, so, but the, here's my better part of that, though. Yes. In a din, like, you wouldn't even need your first point if you had the Maxwell Smart cone of silence drop down where the five <laughs> players in the game have to go at the free throw line and come under the cone of silence. At both ends. Okay, where that, they're not allowed to huddle up. Would they're... be great sponsorship. We could make some cash, and we could take away the really illogical extra timeouts um, that are, are being afforded to teams. Right. So I have a better plan on your point one. Point two. Okay, point two. Point two is part of the delay uh, that took forever in that post-Valley Oop play was figuring out who the five on the floor need to be put back out there to make sure it's the same five that was on the floor for the Valley Oop. Let's remove Scott Foster and the rest of his crew from having to adjudicate that. It's on the coach to put the right five on the floor. That We're, we're going to go back out there right away, and if you don't put the right five on the floor, it's a technical foul on you. We're not going to take any more time up on that sort of nonsense. You really want to end a great game on a technical foul because a coach – was harried and the wrong guy was on the floor? Well, I mean, don't be harried. you got to have a get-back coach. Why don't you have somebody who understands who's on the floor? Point two, delete. Okay, point three, Jeff Van Gundy. Point three, give uh, give coaches a replay challenge for the first half. People are people are not challenging what should be replayed in the first half because they want to keep one in their back pocket for the second half. So you'd have two, two challenges, one yes, in sir. each half? Yes, sir, correct. Okay, I like that, but as an add-on to that, if you get the if you get it right, ah. you keep it, and you can you know. So if I get one right in the first half, I can use another in the first half. Like you shouldn't be punished for being right. Okay, I like it. That's a that's a nice little workshop right there, Jeff Van Gut. Sort of like the NFL. If you get the first two right, you get a third. If you get one of them wrong, right. sorry. Okay, and here's the last one for you. And I think this one you will wholeheartedly agree. No more stopping games to chat, to, to look at whether something's a flagrant foul or not. No more of that. It's either what you see on the floor, that's it. End of story. It's flagrant or not based on first blush. We're not stopping as a Pruder film this thing to see if the wind up or take a look at intent anymore. I don't want to do that. Your thoughts? You know, I, I'd rather accept my, – my whole thing is – all of this is decision-making. We're trying to make an imperfect process of officiating perfect. And it leads to unwieldy delays at times. Correct. And so everything from out-of-bounds calls, and we're afraid they're going to get it wrong, in the, particularly in the last two minutes. My whole thing is, well, we should be worried about the whole 48 minutes. And, and yet we all know that if you have all this replay through 48 minutes, it, it – be just too long, right? Correct. The flagrant issue, though, I think if the officials didn't use it as a bailout as much, 
like they would actually trust their eyes and not worry about getting reprimanded by the powers to be. Um, and if the powers to be were more empathetic to how hard it is to officiate a game and didn't try to minutely second guess these guys, then we wouldn't have as many delays. So I don't, if they, if they didn't just bail out to go over there, I wouldn't have a problem if they, man, was that wind up as, as hard as I think, or did the guy flop? Um, I don't mind that the sticking the leg under the shooter, um, which they got Brooke Lopez for last night. Yep. I don't even mind that. But again, once you open that Pandora's box, it's, 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 to me, it's too much of a bailout to always go over there. So I think the referee should only have like where they can challenge themselves like once or twice. <laughs> like, you know, where, you know, Hey, you're paid to see it. You know, right. don't give me the bailout. You're paid to see it. You get to go over there once in the first half and once in the second half, just like the teams are able to challenge. So challenge yourself. You know, hit that green button over there for yourself. Right. It's, uh, that one, I don't think that's going to fly. But to me, it's just, again, it's just, so we're, we're, we're trying to see. Let's go under the – it's a foul. We know it is. But is it a common foul or a flagrant foul? What type of flagrant foul it is? And fans are sitting at home going, let's play. Like, you called it a foul. You know, and, and, and the number of times that then you and Mark Jackson start arguing of what used to be a common foul and not – it just sounds like a waste of your time and a waste of everybody's time when, you know, first blush, I call it a flagrant. Too bad. Like, how often is a replay going to show it wasn't flagrant when it really is something that's interpretive as opposed to, you know, connecting on a follow-through by hitting someone in the face? You know, like Patrick Beverly, the wind-up that I – mean, he, he had a, a wind-up to get up to DeAndre Ayton's apex to block most of the ball and then follow through and hit him in the face. You know what I mean? Like, but, why but stop the game one, for that? That one – it actually got ruled not a flagrant foul, right. right? And so where I thought was flagrant, the officials came back and said wasn't. And actually, I applaud them because, again, too often I think right now, you know, the officials are under great scrutiny. No Everything question. is is micromanaged too much which uh, by, by their bosses, which takes away feel. And I know officials now in probably every league, but in basketball, they're not encouraged – um, to have a feel for the game, which I think is so very important. Knowledge of the game and feel for the game, to me, gives you the ability to know that a certain guy is always flopping or, you know, I got this guy I got to keep an eye on because, you know, history tells me he's an instigator. You know, when you see guys walk up on the guys and bump them in the back and then a guy react and you tee up the second guy. So uh, I think this micromanaging has them on pins and needles Mm. as far as, you know, if I miss that flagrant foul, you know, owners and, and, and teams are going to like go to the my bosses and my bosses are then going to come down on me. And then I may get downgraded and not, you know, have another playoff game, which costs me money. So I think, I think the, the, the whole, you know, paranoia of trying to be perfect has actually hurt um, the ability and instincts of our officials at times. And so I'm all for never going over there. Like, Hmm. but (laughs) if you are to go over there, I I don't mind going over there on a flagrant foul. But again, I would just rather, 
I know replay is here, but replay was meant in the NBA when it initially came in for last shots and really these like high leverage situations. And I just think we've gotten, like all leagues, we've just gotten carried away. Okay, so just to recap, um, you know, uh, replay for flagrant or not is fine as long as the refs limit themselves. Um, yes. you, you think there should be uh, correct challenges, get another challenge in each half. Uh, yes. We are dispatching with coaches are responsible for putting the yeah, right your, people your on the floor. Number two is out. Okay, and then <laughs> and then number one is uh, just get cone it, of silence the cone of, your right, and just hope that Nike yeah. doesn't come up with a shoe phone. To call, you know, uh, to call the coach from the cone if of silence. If they come up with the shoe phone, yes, it should be allowed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's not stop technology. I agree with you. Uh, thanks for the call, Jeff. Always appreciate our chats. Let's chat down the line. Have a good right, rest of the fun. You guys, it's Jeff Van Gundy, everybody. And Jeff Van Gundy, <laughs> cone of silence for all you millennials out there. There used to be a show called Get Smart. I can't believe I got to explain it. Secret Agent, played by Don Adams. Written by Buck Henry and Mel Brooks. And Don Adams, it was a comedy. And one of the things he had was a shoe phone. He would dial and make a phone call from his shoe. He would open up the heel and he'd speak into it. It would be a speaker. That actually happened on a shoe phone. And then when he and his boss were having a conversation that no one else wanted to hear, they were in a cone of silence. It came down from the ceiling and they were inside of a plastic contraption that nobody could hear what was happening. He wants a cone of silence to come down on players in the middle of the floor while a replay is going on. They're not allowed to huddle up, and they cannot hear anything from the bench. So they are just in, they're they're sequestered. There's a movie Get Smart from 2008. Oh, that's definitely not uh, in the spirit. That's uh, the great Steve Carell. Anne Hathaway, The Rock was in it. Alan, we'll take a break. Come back here. Phone calls eight four four two zero four rich before hour number three of our Wednesday program. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah. Welcome back to our show. Um, going to pop in here for a couple minutes, waiting for our radio audience to return here on NBC Sports on Peacock because we've got something visual to show you that folks on radio might not get. Hey. 
So Tom Brady, as we all know, was really all over Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers from jump. The minute that this match, the match, Capital One, the match got announced, Brady was out with the memes. He was out with the memes. All over it. He was yeah. out. He, he went out on Twitter and talked about, you know, Bryson, get used to not going for it because your, your, your teammate doesn't go for it. I mean, he went all the way in on the NFC Championship game right away and then had that famed meme of DeChambeau stomping past Brooks Kepka that got leaked from a local TV station, I guess, <laughs> that, you know, Kepka like sort of rolled his eyes as DeChambeau stomped past him. Yep. And he used the the eye rolling as memes against DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, all the way in. And now we know the match is completed. Oh, here's one of the old ones. We got one of the old ones. Uh, here it is. Bryson happy to be here. Aaron realizing he has to spend the whole day with Bryson. <laughs> That's a perfect example of what he was all in about. Pretty great. Now, the, as we know, the the match, part of it, Capital One, the match, um, is complete. And Rodgers was terrific. He was stupendous. Hitting fairways, making putts. DeChambeau was a little all over the place, but Rodgers was incredible. And they, along with DeChambeau, win three uh, and two. So Brady, earlier today, he and his social media team came up with three memes, all of them with the DeChambeau stomping past Brooks Kepka look. Do you have the first one up there? There it is. His hand up. He, this is on Twitter. Hand up. My bad. Just like a Del Tufo. Yeah. Aaron hitting every fairway and making every putt. And there's me. <laughs> Upset with himself. That's one. Now here comes number two. Because as you know, Phil is now uh, two and two in the match, but zero and two when he's paired with Brady. Two and zero and not with Brady. Right. Uh, TNT schedule next year's tournament is DeChambeau. Phil, when they try to pair me with him for third time next year. <laughs> Very well done, Brady. I mean, he's just uh, mea culping all over the place. Here's the third and final one from uh, Tom Brady. Bryson and Aaron beating our heads in on the back nine. Memes and trash talk not translating to being good at golf. <laughs> well done, TB12. Nailed it. TB12 social media team. Nailed it. Maya Culpa. So good. That's Tom Brady and Mike Del Tufo have something in common. Yeah. We're, we're both goats, too. So oh, I get oh pardon gosh. me. You're goats. I'm a goat. You do my bad my hand, bad up. hand up. And just like Brady yesterday, probably didn't spend a dime on what he was wearing. Oh, no. no. It was all free. Just like, like you. To be a goat, I'm, doesn't someone else have to proclaim no, you a goat? No, you can't <laughs> say I've been you the yourself. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show radio show, we just showed Tom Brady's uh, memes um, that he just posted out, sort of making fun of himself and having a mea culpa of being all in and trolling the team that rolled um, Phil and Tom on the back nine yesterday. And... Brady with his saying, my bad, like hand up, my bad, which is what you do all the time, Mike. Yes. And I said that you two have something in common, and you said uh, you're both goats. We're both, uh, and I've been called the pregame goat mixer. Oh, my God. By whom? By, multi By whom? By multiple mixers. Multiple game mixers. And one day, maybe I'll be the game Is goat. this one of those famed days? No. Lead mixers of, of Lead multiple Lead mixers networks. of multiple yeah. networks. have called me the goat. I've done pregames longer than 99% of the mixers that I know. Uh -huh. And probably more pregame shows than 90. 27 years. You're the Tom Brady of pregame mixers. No, yeah, I have no problem. I'll accept that. But nobody's giving it to you is what yeah. we're saying. And you're saying that <laughs> other <laughs> mixers have given me that title. 
Other can we, can we other speak to these people? Yeah. By the way. Yeah, let's call his boy. Let me just say this. Let's just say this. Let's, uh, let, let's put it all. We're going to put it all out there. We're yeah. going to put this all out there. Throw it. Because one of our, <laughs> one of our favorite pre-show rituals recently. Oh, my God. Oh. That we love. Is Mike checking in on the radio side? Of oh things. yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I and actually you love it. just want no, well, you because you're so nice to everyone. You're and you want to have conversations with everyone, yeah. and the people that are on the receiving end sometimes are just you know want to just do their business and whatever. And you you kind of feel like when they're just doing their business and not saying hello back to you, it's like they're putting you on the paint on mind list. Yeah, and we love it. Like you're not checking in with our friends at Westwood One, and we're screaming in the background in case I there's mean, anybody who's listening down the line on Westwood One right now and you hear us screaming in the background, it's because we're having fun with Mike, who yeah. just, you know, hey, how you doing? It's Mike Del Tufo from the Rich Eisen Show just checking in. And then you you want them to be like, how you been, Mike? What's going on? As you're being checked in, because not everyone is the goat of audio and can multitask well, quite like you. I mean, they're goats up there at Westwood One. Of course. And we can tell the ones that can multitask by checking us in and having a nice conversation with you or not. Yes, and I kind of get a little upset when it's like, you want a little, so we're they're checking in, like they're checking us in, and we're screaming in the background. Say hi, what's up for me? How you doing? <laughs> you idiots. What's going on? I mean, how you, you been? Idiots. You idiots in the background. I'm trying to check in with the guy. TJ's yelling here. Brockman's right next to me. You're across. I'm like, let me check in with this guy. No, I know. There's something to be done. Yeah. It's like, I got to make sure, you know, we're getting What's so tough to check in? What do they got to do? You press a button or two? No, no, no. What's the check-in process? I I don't know. I'm not a good audio. I have to make sure our audio's hitting them and the podcast. Yes, correct. Then I have to make sure the commercial button works. So, But they have to do that too, right? On their end, they've got to... they got to watch. They watch it on a computer. Okay, good. So it's all computer. So i got to make sure this little box... But can they good. technically have a conversation with you while it happens? Of 100%. Mm, I do check-ins when wow. I do remotes, like when I do a game. Some of, gotta some of them don't. Some of them don't. They're just channels. so quick. They're quick. Like, thanks. Yeah. Like my one guy, Mark, at Fox, we have a great check-in. We have a, like... He asks me what I did for the weekend. I want like conversation. Now that's a check-in. I want conversation. That's like a check-in when you're in a hotel. Yeah. I want conversation. How was your, how was your trip? How's your trip? That's How you a, how's your day? Great yeah. example. You check what are you in the hotel. town for? What are you? Yes. That's a great example. You check in the yes. hotel. You I like a, the person a, to be nice. Do you want a king or a queen? King, yeah, queen. I want like a well, so upgrade. Two, it's a two double beds. Bed. Yeah, two yeah. bed situation. Right. Here's a Wi-Fi code. No smoking room. Smoking room. I mean, it's like, I want to know. Yeah, but most people don't want all of that. They just want to <laughs> check into the room. You already know what size bed you got because you went online and you said, I want the queen or I want the non-smoking it's or so I want good. a non-elevator. You know, they sometimes people don't want all that jibber jabber. It's Mike, it's Mike from the Rich Eisen Show checking in. I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, timeout. okay, great. Time out. Yeah. Who has the highest super rating in this room? Uh, mm. Oh, by the way, I took I an talk. Uber over the weekend. Oh. oh. I took an Uber over the weekend. Let's see. Oh, I Let's got stories. Oh, so I got now you're 444. I got a story. I got a story. Story. Oh. I got a story. See how I handle everything. Oh, oh you. Oh, you went. Oh, you went Del I, went, I thought of you. I even told Susie. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> this is see. I did um, everything that Mike told front, me to do. Front seat. Up front, front seat. I don't oh. want to get out. We're 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 up against the up against the heart. We don't want to upset our friends at Westwood. We want to put you on the pain of mind list. It's so great. Hey, it's Mike from the Rich Eisen show. And sometimes they're like, Yeah, okay, yeah. great. Hold on, great. got it. And oh. you're like, What's going on? It's nothing personal. It's business. I, I take it. I. It's I'm not. It's personal. business. It's not personal. It's it's personal. I mean, <laughs> I just gotta say. It. The goat of audio pregame, not self proclaimed. No, I said pregame. They are saying he can. Except the guy who he's doing this to right there. That's my buddy Jeff. All right. We're still here on Peacock. Oh. Oh. (laughs)
Poor Jason Feller sitting so, behind Mike, me. can I ask you a question? Then? Yeah, go ahead. If you were oh, boy. The, the goat of, of pregame audio, right? And that's pregame. Yeah. Wouldn't like the goat of actual endgame audio that's be you, ahead of you in, in terms of, guys, of goat 100%, status? Yeah. The, that was one of the guys that actually said it to me. When I didn't do games five years ago, when I was offered NFL games. He's like, you're the your best pregame guy in this country. Why would you ever want to go to games and maybe screw your career up? And then I said, at that point, I don't want to do it. Today, I'm like, now I do games. I'm like, why didn't I do it five years? I was scared. Like, I was scared to do it. But Fred, I'll give you his name, Fred Alvis. He was the A Fox game mixer for years. Right. He basically said, you're the pregame guy. Don't go in the games because if you mess up one game – your whole career as being the best pregame guy yeah. will screw up. Out, you're out the window. You're out the Who's window. Who's this guy? He's lost his fastball. But you know what? I'm good at games now, so maybe one day I'll beat it. No, I'll never be. There's guys that are really good at mixing games. I'm sure. Mike, like Jeff Walker. Mike, you know what's hilarious? Right before the show today, you were telling me you're going to retire. What? Nah, not now. <laughs> Rich is like, what like, are you I saying? Mean, no, 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 not You're now. talking about how I might go do games. You were just telling me two hours no, ago I, that you might retire. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm getting old. No, you're not. No, I'm, I mean, I'm just want to get on your boat and not do this anymore. Hey, can I, no, no, I'm joking. Can I talk about something real here? We I got mean, about a minute. <laughs> Let's talk about the match. Like, and I'll just yeah. say this real quick, so I know we got a minute. You guys love golf, right? Love you guys golf. love golf, so of course you were into it. But I think what the match did, and I think it speaks volumes, is someone like me who yeah. isn't into golf. I sat and I watched. What was that? Six hours? It was on hours, TV yeah. the entire time. I was invested, so I feel like that tells you something. When someone who's not into golf, yes, watch it, was thoroughly invested into it, as opposed to you guys who were like, "You're going to watch golf regardless." Well, I think that did a great job of drawing in someone casual like me all right, well, into into watching this thing. Well, there's less was... than thirty seconds left in this. I want to expand on that. We've got a, yeah. a, a whole next segment. I mean, I if you're it. on hold, stand hold. We'll take your calls. Jared Harris, uh, one of the best actors in the biz from Mad Men and Chernobyl. He's in a new AMC uh, program that premiered this past Monday on AMC Plus, The Beast Must Die. And I think that's also referring to Denmark uh, because he'll be joining us 40 minutes before England takes on Denmark. That's coming up. 